Thanks so much, Matt. It's good to be together, isn't it? Oh, it is. Uh, now I get to talk to more than five people. Hopefully that's a blessing. Got a couple of announcements for you. Um, as we continue to worship our awesome God, just a reminder that our tw- 2021 uh, envelopes, offering envelopes, are in the back over there. Uh, for those of you who have them. Also, we are starting our tax clinic. It starts up again at Mar- on March 6. Uh, appointments are necessary, uh, and you need to contact uh, Kevin, and you can do that at taxclinic at noah.ca. Uh, also, a couple of things. Uh, we'll be having our members meeting after the service today, so that's going to be a great time. How convenient is that, that we're allowed to meet and have a members meeting all at the same time? Isn't that so much fun? <laughs> yes. Um, so we'll be just looking forward to just coming together and praying together. Also, uh, young adults, if you haven't yet, there's a conference that's going to be this Friday for you. Um, if you want, you can talk to Matt, who is right here, or Anne, who's sitting over there. And she would, he or she would love to talk to you about that as well. As we continue to worship our awesome God, I pray that you can open your Bibles with me. We'll be in John chapter 4, just finishing up John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. And as you turn there, let us continue to worship God through prayer. Oh, Father God, we just thank you for today. Your mercies are new every morning, and you are good. And Lord, we just thank you that we can even gather in this way to worship you. Lord, we pray for those who are unable to be here, who may be sick. And God, we pray that you give them a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Uh, Lord, we pray for other gospel-preaching churches here in London who are, uh, well, they're, whatever they're doing today, Lord, we just pray that you would use them as shining lights in this city. Lord, we, we specifically pray for Chelsea Green and for Pastor Peter and that you would use them in their area uh, and this whole city of London as we work together as your universal church, uh, local churches coming together to make your kingdom, uh, make you known, Lord, here in this city. So may you, God, use us to grow your kingdom as we seek to be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word, God, I want to preach so that you are glorified. And uh, Lord, there's no way I can do this on my own. So Lord, will you give me what is needed? Help me, Lord, by your spirit to preach this sermon. Uh, May you use this sermon, Lord, for your glory, for the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. And amen. John, chapter 4, and actually next week we'll be taking a little bit of a break from John as we just walk through, just a little break, uh, just walking through a sermon series called What We Believe as we walk through our our, uh, statement of faith, actually. But as we finish off John chapter 4, it says this in verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, 
unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word of, that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And this is the word of the Lord. As we continue to worship God, let me ask you this question. Why do you come to Jesus? What's the reason? If someone were to come to you and ask you that very question, you're walking down the street, minding your own business, downtown London, whatever it may be, you're going to boxcar donuts, I should get endorsements for that. If you're doing that, and you're walking down, and someone comes up to you and just says, hey, do you know Jesus? And you say yes. And then they ask you a follow-up question. Why, did, why do you come to Jesus? What would you tell him or her? What would you say? See, in John, we are going to see three types of people, three different types of people that reacted in three different ways as they came to Jesus. So which one are you? In verses 43 to 45, Jesus is leaving the Samaritans. We, we were looking at this, this the passage before. is the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, and uh, just a quick recap, Jesus meets her at the well. They interact together. She leaves the well and her jug and goes and tells people that uh, Jesus, who could be the Messiah, is there. So come and see. So they come out of the city. The Samaritans come out of the city with the woman and they begin to interact with Jesus. At that moment, the, the people tell the, the woman at the well, we now believe because of what Jesus has said. And Jesus spends two days with them in that time as he begins to teach them all of who he is and what he has done. But as we continue on in these few verses, in verse 43, after two days he departs from where he is and he begins to interact with three other different types of groups of people. And we see this first group in verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. See, prophets prophets aren't often honored in their hometown. You know, in modern day in the local church, oftentimes that starts with, well, with the pastor, right? And we praise God for Pastor Matt and how God has used him. But how often, even in those circumstances, we don't give him the honor that is due because he grew up here. And the same thing is happening to Jesus. Here his own hometown won't even accept him. He came to his own, it says in John 1 verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. There seems to be one of the themes that runs throughout the Gospel of John here. As John is writing this, he does this theme. It's a theme that runs all the way to the cross. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But as I look at this, I learned some very important things about who Jesus is. 
He doesn't seek to maximize his exposure. He is embracing the role of a servant like we see in Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And even though Jesus knows he will be rejected, he still goes. See, the first type of people that we see here, the first type of person we see is the person that rejects Jesus outright. Jesus didn't match, uh, match up to his or her expectations. See, the Samaritans received Jesus with a joyful faith, but his own people reject him. So let's be honest. You and I, we've all seen that, Right? As we seek to be faithful disciples, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, as God opens up those doors for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again, as we do that, we have experienced people who reject that outright. Because he doesn't meet their expectations or fill their own expectations. Are you this type of person? We've looked at Jesus and he that the type of person who looks at Jesus and he just doesn't match up. Maybe you're a little angry or disappointed. Maybe you think you're strong enough, smart enough, good enough. Maybe you think Jesus is a crutch and you don't need him. Maybe you're thinking, he got killed himself. What can he offer me? Maybe you're this type of person. But then as we continue to move on, there's a second type of person But there's this person here too. This is a group that doesn't reject Jesus, uh, but they receive him really only for what he can do. We see this group in verse 45, the Galileans, they welcomed him. See, why were they so excited that Jesus was coming? Well, we see right there later on, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feasts. They saw Jesus and how he turned some water into the best one they've ever had in their entire life. Hey, Jesus, can you do that again? The Galileans, they really liked having Jesus around for what he can do. And Jesus does not trust them. We see that in verse 44. So Jesus said to them, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's easy to read that verse and think, oh, that's Jesus replying to the official, but he's actually talking, the you there in the Greek is plural, so he's talking to everybody who's there around him. Unless you say, he says, Jesus isn't isn't just addressing the official, but the Galileans who had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feasts. See, Jesus' complaints about these people was that they did not worship him as Savior and Lord. They just wanted him because he was a useful wonder worker. Who wouldn't? He, he makes the best wine. We should invite him to the party, right? But here's the problem. They were consumers, not worshipers. They were admirers, not followers. Jesus has no intention in doing an act just so he can win some attention and gather the crowd. Jesus knows what his mission is, and he can tell who is on board with the mission or who is just wowed by a wonder worker. 
Is Jesus enough is the question that comes out. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough for you? In any circumstance, is Jesus enough? If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you will see your greatest needs satisfied. But if you come to him with anything else, maybe it's just to stabilize your marriage, or maybe it's to get an easier life or a better job, or maybe you pray to God so you can get better grades. I used to do that all the time. Dear Lord, please help me to do better on my tests. Did you study? Maybe. Maybe it's to heal your sickness. But if you don't receive any of those things, is Jesus enough? Christ had come from the Samaria, the scorn of the Jews. But there he found a people who didn't need a miracle. Their idea of the Messiah wasn't that of just a wonder worker. There he found a people who believed in, on him. Why? Because they heard him themselves. And his words touched their consciousness and stirred strange longings that were deep within their hearts. But here with the Galileans and Jesus' own hometown, we see a people who only received Jesus entirely because he did miracles and had been therefore regarded by Christ himself as very unreliable. Think about it. What if I love someone simply because of what they do for me? What if that action stops? Think about the church. What if we only love each other because of what we can do for what we get from one another? What happens when things get rough? Now, what if we only love Jesus because of what we can get out of that for the comforts of life? What if they don't happen? Is Jesus enough? For the Galileans, he wasn't enough. Is this you? What would happen if everything in your life was suddenly stripped away this very morning? Could you cry out to God with tears like in Job? I love Job 19.25. For I know that my Redeemer lives. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. In Job 19, he's actually crying out to God for all the pain that God has caused him. And then he replies in verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives. When we sing that song, that old hymn that many of you are shaking your head and remembering as, we, as I say that, that's what that hymn is talking about. It is powerful. I know my Redeemer lives. Is Christ enough? Can you cry out with a song, in the, like the psalm writer in, in, in Psalm 42? If you look at Psalm 42, it's my favorite psalm. By far, well, not by far, but it's my favorite psalm. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and sorry? When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. You ever feel like that? While they say to me all the day long, "Where is your God?" 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festivals. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. Is Christ enough? For the Galileans, he wasn't. It's only when Jesus is our Lord and Savior, when he alone governs every ounce of your life, when I trust him, that I will also trust him as my Savior. He can't, you can't have Jesus as your Savior without him also being your Lord. They come together. See, many reject Jesus outright. They, they will look at him and they think that they can rely on themselves rather than him, they, or they don't meet their expectations at all. They will just reject him. But others will come to Jesus and they just want him to do something for him, them. Jesus is looking for worshipers, not consumers, followers, not admirers. He is looking for a people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I look at this and I go, man, a lot of, like, there's nothing new under the sun. You ever realize that? Like, those words are true. There are those who express no interest in Jesus and they reject him with hardened hearts. But there are, are others who come to church and get involved in church activities and the, the involvement isn't because their hearts have been awed by the glory of God and Christ's saving majesty. There's no desire to learn about him and to learn more about who he ha- how he has revealed himself in his word. It's that second type of person that is in it for the lifestyle benefit of the practical preaching they demand. But Jesus here, he rebukes them full on and refuses any but a faith that is centered on him and him alone as, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. An Irish pastor, I was watching a video of that. I love the Irish accent. Oh, man. Jesus, he says this, Mark Johnson says this, Jesus is not interested in satisfying crowds who want to be entertained. He is interested in sinners who feel their need and are prepared to take him at his word. Do you feel your need? Is Jesus enough? See, the gospel is all about taking Jesus at his word. Take him as the Lord and Savior. Worship him and glorify him. Dwell on his saving majesty. Be in awe of his glory, as John 1 verse 2 says. You know, in the beginning was the word we just looked at with John 1. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Be in awe of who he is, that God, the creator of the universe, stepped down from his throne to save a wretch like you, like me. Do you think that you're a sinner? Good. You think you need to be saved? Good. Do you think you're unsavable? Wrong. 
Jesus is interested in sinners who feel their need and are prepared to take him at his word. Trust, believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ died for your sins and he rose again. Trust him. Take him at his word. Worship him. Don't be like the Galileans. Don't be like the other ones who reject him. See, by trusting Jesus that we will, it is through trusting Jesus that we will find our needs met and experience his loving kindness and his trustworthiness. There are two types of people. There's three types of people in this passage, and the first two will not experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We're not looking for niceness. We're looking for newness. The first are the ones who lament from his hometown, those who did not honor him but rejected him completely. And then the second are those who don't really reject Jesus, but they also don't receive him. Which one are you? Because there's also a third. In verses 46 to 54, we see that. We see who are the type of people that, have the, that will experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let's look at this third person. We see this third person in, in, in verse, uh, verse 46. We are introduced to this official. He has his son. His son is sick. You can see the love and desperate, uh, the desperate feeling in his heart. He, uh, he's at, this, this is it. Everything he's tried has not worked. His son is not getting better. He is desperate. He's going to walk 40 kilometers in order to get to know this guy named Jesus, who he's just heard about. And he walks all that time, 32 kilometers, to find Jesus. Official, depending upon the translation you're looking at, the word official is the same word for royal official or nobleman. This is not just any guy. This isn't just like the mayor of some city. This guy works in the courts of King Herod himself. And then he comes and he, he, he hears this word from Jesus as he continues on. And Jesus confronts not only him, but also everybody else. You see this? Did we see that when, when Jesus comes and he tells him, all you guys, all, all you want is, is just signs. You just, you just want me to keep doing fancy things for you. But did you catch the, the, the official, this man who, who his prominence did you catch what he says in, 50, in 49? Sir, come down before my child dies. You, you see that desperate feeling inside of him. The official responds with a desperation, and Jesus uses, uh, uses this to bring the official to a moment of decision. When we see that word in 49, sir, it's actually the same word for Lord, for ruler, for one who commands. It's the same word that we see in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this type of man. He is an official. He's high. He's prominent in his world. He is the type of guy who commands things. And when he says things, it gets done. And he comes and he calls this carpenter, this man with no home, and he says, Sir, 
Lord, one who commands, please come save my child. Who is the type of person that, will, that will, Jesus saves? It's the one who honors him as Lord. As I read this, I was reminded of Jeremiah 43 to 44, and in there, Babylon has just wiped out, a few verses before, uh, Babylon's wiped out Judea. Uh, the whole place is gone. There's a remnant left that haven't been taken away to Babylon. And this remnant comes to Jeremiah, who's had a pretty miserable time. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. He's also a complainer, but that's why. But he comes and he says to him, they, they say to him, what shall we do? Go ask God. Go ask God what we should do. Please ask him anything. We will do whatever God says in 43. And Jeremiah says, okay, I'm going to go to God. I'll pray for you guys. And I will tell you exactly what God tells me to tell you. Which, in this day and age, you'd probably, we, would all, we should all, we'll end up in the same place he is. So he goes and he prays to God. God gives him his answer. And his answer to the people, the remnant that are left, was stay in the land. Stay. I, I will provide for you. I will bless you. And there will be no need at all. Verse, chapter 44 comes along. Jeremiah gives this report. The people are like, well, forget that. I'm out of here. Oh, we're going to Egypt. We're going to go to Egypt. We never hear about that remnant ever again. We never hear about anybody coming back from Egypt. Because God promised them. He says, if you disobey me, if you don't trust me, if you don't take me at my word, there will be no blessing. In fact, there's curse. So Jesus, I'm just reminded of the same thing. And this is the type of person that Jesus saves. It is the one who honors him as Lord and and, and just doesn't want him for all the services that he does, but humbly seeks his grace. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Do you understand the weight of what he just did? He walked 32 kilometers to get to see Jesus, to get him to come to him. He's desperate. This is the end of his rope. And he leaves. What type of trust did this man have to have in Jesus' word? What type of trust had him say, Lord, you are the only one that can save. If the official leaves to go home without Jesus, there is no time to get any more help. This is it. If the official doesn't believe Jesus can speak the word and heal and healing comes to pass, he will want to stay and try but, but, and trying to get Jesus to come to him. But he leaves in peace as Jesus commands and he will have peace because he believes Jesus at his word. He honors Jesus as Lord and trusts him to accomplish everything that he says. Twice in this passage, we see how he believes. And this isn't redundant. Those things that convinced us are those that continue to do so. 
And those things that we keep on believing are things we grow in knowledge about. A growth in knowledge that does not overturn, but rather confirms our faith. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Peter says. I just love how this passage shows the grace of Jesus. His merciful and sovereign grace. And as Matt was pointing out, grace is talking about God's unmerited favor. Something you can't work for. It's a gift. But I don't think that goes far enough. Because as we were talking about in our family worship time, we are all sinners before God. Grace really is God's favor extended towards those who deserve the complete and utter opposite. We are all sinners before God. All of us. Not one of us is not. And that's what the Bible talks about. This is how God saves sinners. God doesn't save according to our own works or our own merits since our works are sinful and deserve punishment, but according to his own grace. That is the whole point of Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Jesus doesn't save the official son because of some sort of payment that the official gave or because uh, he was far less of a sinner than others, but because of his merciful grace. His grace is merciful. But it's also sovereign. The official thought that Jesus had to be physically present to perform this miracle, but Jesus spoke and he was healed. Just spoke This shows that Jesus has the authority to save by his own will and with a might that is equal to, uh, with a might that is greater than any. A a, a might that is greater than any need. This is why John so often emphasizes Jesus' divine nature. If Jesus is God, he has divine power to save. See, for the Christian, it's not a matter of if you get healed, but when? As Christ was resurrected from the dead, so you will be too. It's why the resurrection is so important. We have a hope that cannot be taken away. Are you afraid that he cannot save you? That is a lie. That he is not strong enough to conquer the enemies of your soul? That is a lie. But how can you desire one stronger than the mighty God as Christ is called in Isaiah 9 verse 6? Is there a need of greater than infinite strength? He can do that. Are you trusting him for him? Because the grace that he pours out on you conquers death and sin. That's why Jesus says your son will live. And his saving grace has the effect of imparting forgiveness and life. We see a lot about who Jesus is. We see he is both willing and able to save all who come, who, all who come humbly to him. He is willing because his, his grace is merciful. He is able because his grace is mighty and sovereign. The people in his hometown reject Jesus. And by doing that, they also reject his grace and the gift that comes with it. Don't be that person. 
Don't leave this place today without bowing the knee before the Lord who is able to save. Or don't be like the Galileans who accepted him only for his wonder working and not for him as Lord. Be like the man who says, Sir, he says, save my son. It's only when we trust Jesus that we will find our needs met and experience his loving kindness and trustworthiness. It's only then that we can have his grace. It's this person that Jesus saves, the official, this man of authority, coming in humility saying, oh, how I need you. I need you. Every hour, I need you. This man humbly seeks his grace. He trusts Jesus. Are you? then you are experiencing this amazing, sovereign, merciful grace of Jesus Christ who saved a wretch like you. Who in any circumstance, like the psalmist says in Psalm 42, or what Job says in Job 9, can praise God in all circumstances because he is good. Why is he good? It's not good because of all the things that I have that I can lose, but because he saved you. And he has called you to himself. In Christ, you are a child of the living God. In Christ, you are no longer dead, but alive. In Christ, no longer are you in a kingdom of darkness, but a kingdom of light. In Christ, no longer are you broken, but you're healed. In Christ, no longer are you separated between God. No longer can you not do what you were created to do, to worship him. But in Christ, you can worship God in spirit and in truth. This is in Christ. What do we do with all this? What type of person are you? Are you the type of person who rejects Jesus? Are you the type of person who just wants Jesus for all that he can do to you, for you? Are you the type of person who honors him as Lord and seeks his grace? My hope is that you are number three. My hope is that you are, as Romans 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not if, maybe, kind of, will. It's only that last person, that last type of person that will find their needs met and experience the loving kindness and trustworthiness of Christ because it is by trusting Jesus that you will find all these things Can you and I agree on one thing at least? Our lives are filled, absolutely filled with joy and sorrow, gain and loss. Can we agree on that? If not, I don't know what world you're living in. Those are the standards of this life. But John, John wants us to realize, as one writer observed, Jesus is more than equal to either occasion. He has a place in all circumstances. If we invite him to our times of innocent happiness, he will increase our joy. If we call on him in our times of sorrow, anxiety, bereavement, he can bring consolation, comfort, and joy that is not of this world. It's by trusting Jesus that we will find our needs met and experience his loving kindness and trustworthiness. So what kind of person are you?
Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the reminder of who you are in your word. Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, I pray that it brings comfort. I pray pray that we are reminded every day this morning as we leave this place, as we interact with one another, whatever we're doing, Lord, I pray that we are reminded of who we are in Christ. But Lord, if we're not in Christ, I pray that you will not let us rest. Send your holy hound. Make us uncomfortable. Because it's only in you, Lord. It's only in trusting you as our Lord and Savior that we can experience the, tr- the trustworthiness and the loving kindness of you. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we will proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ, that we would be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, that we will take the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it. May you be glorified as we continue to worship you. And amen.